All right, all right. Well, how are you guys doing? Is this an awesome day? It's beautiful. I really wish I was preaching from the pool right now because it's pretty hot. <laughs> like, ooh, let's hope that the uh, computer doesn't overheat today. But you know what? We learned our lesson last time, so I got notes. All right, so we're gonna. <laughs> We'll be okay, even if we do overheat. But wow, what an awesome day. Um, I may, You know how we did the question of the week a few weeks ago? What's your unpopular opinion? Well, I think my favorite Easter candy is probably an unpopular opinion. It's totally Peeps. I love Peeps. I would eat Peeps all year round. It's my favorite. It's the best. So don't judge me, okay? I love Peeps. <laughs> Well, welcome to Voice. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here. If this is your 1,000th time, we're also so glad you're here. It's just so good to see your faces. And um, today is what we would call um, in church tradition Palm Sunday. And I'm like, I love it because we're just surrounded by all these palm trees. We don't even need to do the old traditional thing, which how many of you were ever in church when you were little or, or maybe recently where um, they used to give everyone a palm branch and you would kind of like wave it in worship time? I used to do that as a kid. It was one of my favorite things. Um, but, you know, now we're just going to enjoy the palms in front of us instead of, instead of cutting them down. So, um, But, yes, it is Palm Sunday. I think one of the most fun Sundays, one of the most rejoicing Sundays, but it is also known as Lamb Choosing Day. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard of this, but um, a couple of weeks ago, Taka said, hey, Nat, make sure you talk about Palm Sunday being lamb choosing day. And I was so confused because I was like, what? I don't think I have ever heard of that. And so it sent me on this journey to look up what lamb choosing day was and why uh, they practice this. And this is the first time I'd ever heard this about Palm Sunday before. Um, so we're going we're gonna to get into Lamb Choosing Day, what it is, and what the history of Palm Sunday is. And we're going to talk about why that still matters today. So Palm Sunday is one of the days um, that was celebrated to um, mark Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem leading into Passover weekend. And now Israelites at that time, they would celebrate Passover because it was, it's a celebration of God saving them from their oppressor. They were um, released from the Pharaoh in Egypt and God had saved them from like hundreds of years of slavery. And so they wanted to remember this for as long as they could about how good God was. So I'm just going to really quick read to you a short passage about what Passover was. And it, the first Passover happened in Exodus 12, 1 through 6. And this is what it says. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, and no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this month, and then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their, their lamb or their young goat at twilight. Now, this sounds like kind of crazy a little bit to us today because I don't think any of us are um, having lambs, you know, slaughtered that we're taking care of <laughs> unless you live on a farm and then, you know, maybe you are. But um, for the rest of us who just live a normal everyday life that don't farm, we're like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine doing this, 
But for them, there was a significance to why they did this. Um, so they actually did this because what would happen after that was during the, fast, the first Passover, God told them to then take the blood of that lamb and put it over their doorstep. And the reason why they did this was because God was trying to send a message to Pharaoh that he would not relent until he let his people go free. He was going to save his people. And the way that he did that was by saying, Israelites, go ahead and mark your door with the blood of this lamb, and I'm going to send an angel of death to go into every home in Egypt and kill the firstborn son of every single household except those who follow my instructions of putting the blood of the lamb over this doorstep. Now, this then became a tradition because obviously what we know happened after that was that this did happen. And the firstborn son in every household did die, except for those who had, who had um, left their door covered with the blood of the lamb. Now, this sounds gory and weird, and it will make sense <laughs> as we go on. But this is how God showed that he had wanted Pharaoh to let the Israelites go because he spared their life. And so then after this, they, they went to Pharaoh and they said, you need to let our people go or more bad things are going to happen. And so finally, he let them go. So this became the very first Passover because then the Spirit of God passed over those homes and rescued the Israelites. So this became a tradition that they would celebrate every year. Now, why this is important is because Jesus was referred to multiple times as the Lamb of God. And in fact, it was on the Sunday that the Israelites would have picked their lamb that Jesus came into Jerusalem on Lamb Choosing Day. So in essence, in this moment, Jesus, Jesus was saying, here I am, I'm the lamb, putting myself out here for you. I am coming back to rescue you. There's other places that um, the New Testament talks about Jesus being the Lamb of God. And so this probably wouldn't have make sense to a lot of us. Um, I don't know if maybe you've read the Bible before wondering why do they call Jesus the Lamb of God? What is that even about? Um, but in the New Testament and the Israelites at that day, they totally knew what that meant. And that was like an amazing word for them because that was God saying, I'm sending a savior to you. I'm sending you away to be rescued from your oppressors. And in the Acts 2.42 study, they talked, they listed a couple of different places where they mentioned this in the New Testament. So one of them is uh, 1 Corinthians 5.7, where Paul says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Oh, oh, it's starting to fritz out a little bit. <laughs> yep, it's overheating. We knew this would happen. Here we go. Moving on. Stick with me. All right. Then in Hebrews 9.28, it says, Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people. Then John the Baptist, as he was, introdu as he was introducing Jesus to the world before any of this ever happened, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Peter then later goes on to say, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. God sent his son on the very day that the Jewish people had been picking their lambs for the last 1,500 years. And this was such a huge deal. There was 
no mincing words about who Jesus was supposed to be. So we're going to actually, we've been reading in the book of Luke for the last uh, several months. And so we're going to jump into where Jesus comes into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry and Luke 19, 28 through 41. So let's go ahead and we're going to move on to our Hello, My Name is Jesus series and start in our, uh, um, in the book of Luke again. So here's what happened. It says, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of the disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, which, by the way, is where he would later be crucified, he sent two disciples ahead. He said, go into that village over there, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. I mean, no big deal, right? Just go take a, take, take a colt and just tell him God needs it. <laughs> and the disciples so they went and they found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Now, this probably doesn't seem like a very significant part of the story. Um, however, it is because one, I mean, literally we're seeing a miracle happening because Jesus is saying, go into that town way over there that none of us have been in yet and go get a colt, and this is what they're gonna say, and then make sure you reply this way. So number one, we're wit witnessing him telling, the, telling them that this is going to happen, which is kind of crazy. But not only that, there is purpose and significance in him choosing a donkey. And the reason why is a donkey signifies a symbol of peace. So it was purposeful that he did not ride in on a horse, whereas normally we think, why didn't you just ride in on a horse? What's up with the donkey? Why do you care about riding in on a donkey? Well, when you came in to Jerusalem on a donkey, it symbolized that you were riding in in peace. But if you came in on a horse, you were coming in perhaps with a motive of war. So that was really particular. So then as we go on, he, as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And in Matthew's account, it also says they laid palm branches with their garments. So thus, Palm Sunday, we mark Jesus coming in and people laying down the palm branches. So why does this part of the story matter? And what is up with the palm, palm branches? So the palm branches at that time were also very symbolic and kind of a symbol of protest because as, as we have learned the last few weeks, the Israelites were pretty oppressed under Roman rule. They had very few things that they could do that uh, they could celebrate their religion and you know, practice their religion without some kind of scrutiny from Roman rule. And so them putting down the palm branches, which signify victory, is kind of a big deal because they're saying our victory is here, and we want you to know it. And they're saying not only that, but they're saying that Jesus is the one who's going to bring them that victory. They put these victory branches down for Jesus to walk on. So this is kind of a big message that they're sending to Rome, saying this is our new king, which is a really gutsy thing to say to the Roman emperor of that time. They, they could have lost their lives for saying that. So then it goes on in verse 37 to say, when he reached the place where the road had started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all of the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, 
teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. But Jesus said, if I keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. And when he said that, the Pharisees would have known what he was saying because they had studied the scriptures. They knew them inside and out. And what he was referring to was a prophecy in Psalm 96 where he says, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise and let the fields and their crops burst with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord because he is coming. So the Pharisees are like irked even more because obviously he's got this guy, they have this guy who's coming into town who he's allowing people to say that he is their new king and that they're going to overthrow Rome in their minds. And Jesus right here is irking them even more because he's saying, they're right. I am the savior. I am the Lord. And to them, that was like, that was a big no-no. Because he was claiming to be God. And if you claim to be God, that's called blasphemy, especially if you're not God. So he was not missing, mincing any words here. But at that time, you know, this may make me a little bit unpopular, but I can kind of feel for the Pharisees. Because they had just started to get a good relationship with their, with their governor. And they were finally starting to let them do more religious practices. They were trying to have more peace in that city. And so, yes, of course, they wanted God to save them from Rome. They wanted to be free to do whatever they wanted to do. But that was not how they wanted it to happen. They did not want to stir up more trouble. And so this guy is walking in. He's a self-proclaimed savior. And nowadays, we would just call him a cult leader, right? (laughs) We would say he's delusional and that he was absolutely crazy. Um, And so he's stirring up trouble for them. He calls them out in front of large crowds. He calls them all kinds of names in front of large crowds. He makes them look dumb basically many times. And he also upsets the local authorities. And so, yeah, they're like, sure, yeah, of course we want to be saved, but not through this guy. This guy's the worst. (laughs) In their opinion, they were like, why? Why would you send this guy? And so, you know, I can kind of see where they're coming from sometimes. And, you know, have you ever yourself wanted God to come through for you, but he came through in a way that maybe was the least, the way you least wanted him to or expected him to? (laughs) Or maybe even you were like mad at him for coming through that way. You're like, what? No, this is not what I had in my plan. This was not the way I organized things in my plan. God, this is not, no, you, you did this wrong. You chose the wrong person, right? I've been there, and I meant, you know, I mean, I learned a long time ago, however, never to tell God that I will never fill in the blank. Because, and I think this is where the Pharisees were at. They were like, this guy will never be our king. He will never be our savior. And I learned a long time ago that that is just the worst thing to do because somehow every time I tell God I will never fill in the blank, he always brings it into my life. And I don't know if it's to teach me a lesson and show me that he's in control and he's going to make things work out even in the ways that I don't think he can work out. He will. But he just does that to me. So I have learned never to do that. And I've had more moments like that, you know, than I would like to admit, especially even this year. Um, But there have been several huge life changes that came about over the years that honestly happened in ways that I really preferred them not to happen. I mean, I'm sure you guys 
know where I'm coming from. I'm sure you've had big life changes that came where you were like, what? This was not in my playbook. This is not what I wanted to happen. And, you know, I wished I could have changed the outcome or the sequence, but God is not that way. <laughs> he doesn't work according to our plan. He works according to his plan. You know, I've had moments even where I was mad at God, thinking that he didn't hear me or maybe he was punishing me. You know, but that's not our God either. That's not in his character. But whenever this happens, I've learned, um, and this is just something I, I encourage everyone to do. Whenever I do not understand what's going on or why things are happening the way they're happening, I go for a long drive with God, and sometimes they even buckle him in. <laughs> just reach over to the passenger seat and buckle him in and be like, all right, Lord, let's go for a drive because I need you to walk me through this. I need you to talk me through this disappointing situation because I don't understand it. And all I can see in that moment is how disappointed I am. It's hard for me to see the big pictures in those moments. And so every time I get in the car and I, can, I say, okay, God, help me see the big picture. Because right now, from my point of view, this is not looking fun. I don't like this at all. And every time he ends up giving me peace, he ends up calming me down and reminding me, I have you. I know you don't see it, but I've got you. Don't worry about it. And God is very intentional. He does not, he's not interested in caving to our temporary desires, our temporal needs and wants. He's got a big picture to carry out, and his plan will transcend those momentary desires. And as you can see in this situation, his plan, he planned every single bit of this story down to the very last details of Jesus riding in on a donkey, of it being on lamb choosing day that he entered in. Even the hour that Jesus was crucified was the same time that the lamb would be sacrificed. All of these things, all oh, were so detailed. He doesn't miss a detail in our lives, in our story. He doesn't. So have you ever felt like you know God is up to something, but you just, you can't see it? It's like, um, it's like my kids. They used to come home from school, and they would always be so hungry. And <laughs> they would think I was so mean because I, I would just give them a little snack. And they'd be like, no, I want to have, like, five snacks. And so they, sometimes they'd, like, go into the cupboard and steal, like, five bags of goldfish and just, like, crush them all at one time. <laughs> I find little wrappers all over the house. And then by the time dinner came, I had been preparing for them this nice meal that was so good, that was healthy, had all the nutrients. And they were too full to eat by the time dinner came. And so for that moment, they're like, Mom, you're so mean. Why can we only have one little snack? We're so hungry. <laughs> I'm like, trust me, in the end, you'll be glad that you didn't fill yourself up. But it's hard for kids to see the big plan, right? They just, they're hungry in the moment. They want their food. They want their snack. But it's in those moments when I can't see what God's up to that I've learned that I can trust his heart and I can trust his plan. Even when we can't see what he's up to, we can always, always trust his heart and his plan. Had everything, you know, that I had planned out the last few years uh, worked out the way that I wanted them to, things would be really, really different, to be honest with you. Um, I was definitely on the five-year plan with my kids, and I was planning at the end of that five years to tell my husband that I didn't want to have any kids. <laughs> so God had a bigger plan for me, and three months after we got married, I got pregnant. And so, but to be honest with you, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And God knew that I needed her. 
So we wouldn't have our Brooklyn right now if things had happened the way I had planned. Um, Boys Church would not exist. Um, it was a twisty road to get here, and it was not the way I would have chosen it to get here. And, by the way, it was one of those things that I told God I would never do. <laughs> I said, I will never plant a church because crazy people plant churches. And <laughs> here we are. And I'm so glad that we planted this church because I wouldn't have known any of you if we didn't. And another one is, you know, even just this year, we would be paying $10,000 a month for a building that we couldn't even use. We were just getting ready to sign on to a lease with a building, and we lost it last minute, and I was so mad. And just a few days after that, everything shut back down again, and we, w we haven't been able to use it ever since anyways. So we'd be paying in this lease for $10,000 a month. God knew that we didn't want to be paying $10,000 a month for a building we can't even use. So he knows, he sees, and he's able to make all things work towards the good of those who love him. So just, I want each of you to even just take a moment and look back on your life and think about maybe a situation that looked really bad at first, but that God was able to turn around better in the end. And I think sometimes we forget to do this. We just remember how upset we felt or disappointed we felt, and we forget to look back and be like, but you know what? God was able to redeem that situation. I'm thinking about maybe even some of you who had like a rough breakup that was really rough in the moment, but now looking back on it, you see that you were saved from a lot of heartache. Or maybe some of you took a detour in life that you weren't planning on, and it ended up saving you from a disaster or rejection that forced you into a skill that you didn't know that you had. I had a situation like that in a job. Um, I kind of lost my dream job after I had my kids. I wasn't able to come back and do the same thing. And it forced me to go take another job that I did not want to take. So another one of those one of those things that I said, God, I'd, I'll do anything for you, but I really don't want to do that. I'll never do that. And it, that was the job that I had, of course. But I learned so much, so many things that I'm still using to this very day. So many things that I'm using to this very day that if I had not had that job, I wouldn't have learned the skills that I needed to plant a church. So God knows how to prepare us for the next season of our life. And maybe God isn't always working things out for you the way that you want today because he's preparing for what's coming tomorrow, for what he's got planned for you tomorrow. Hmm. Don't mind me just spilling water all over myself. Trust his heart because sometimes even really bad situations can play a divine redeeming role in our lives. God knows your situation and he will never overlook you. He's in this with you for the long haul, and he does not run out of patience or get angry when you make a mistake. And I think that's so important for us because some of us might even be feeling like, oh, no, I make a lot of mistakes. I think he's probably running out of patience for me. I've done so many dumb, dumb things. I've said so many dumb things, but he doesn't. He never, ever runs out of patience for you. He's in it with you for the long haul. He wants to complete the good work that he started in you. So just... Don't give up on him, and he won't give up on you. He's in it for your good. So um, in the last verse in this section, it says Jesus, it just talks about how Jesus weeped over Jerusalem. And in verse 41, it says, but he came, as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish this day that all of you people would understand the way to peace. And it was the crowd's blindness in that moment that made him weep. 
He wanted so badly to show them the way to peace. That he wanted to show them his grand plan. But we know, we know the end of the story, right? We know that in that moment, the Pharisees were planning on how they would give him up. They were planning on how they, he would die. They wanted to crucify him. But too often, God's peace gets offered up, just like the Pharisees, on the altar of, altar of our pride. Literally in this situation, God's son was offered up to be sacrificed on the altar of the pride of those who turned him in. And I think that's something we all still deal with today. We have pride. We don't want to admit when we're wrong. We're stubborn. We can be really selfish sometimes. We want what we want, right? And all of those things lead us to choose our own path over God's peace. When we get too impatient to wait for his plan and we end up taking things into our own hands, trying to make things work out for us, and we end up kind of trampling over God's peace and God's plan. In that moment, he was just presenting himself as the Lamb of God and in effect saying, here I am, choose me, choose me the path to peace. I want to rescue you in a way that you need right now. But it might not look like your plan. But on this historic Lamb choosing day, he was rejected by the very people he came to save. And nothing makes him sadder than when he gives his life up for us and we don't get to experience that peace that he died to give us. He's still presenting himself and still being rejected. And we're, we're humans, we're so fickle, right? Because that day on, on Palm Sunday, everybody was rejoicing and saying, yes, you are the savior that we wanted. You're the one. And they're putting their palms down. But then just a few days later, they all turned on him. And they all ended up giving him up to be sacrificed because it wasn't the way they wanted him to come. They wanted Jesus to be something else, and often we want Jesus to be something else and do something else, but he is who he is, and his plan has always been the same. It's always been to reconcile you to God so that you could in turn go into all the world and bring that healing and that peace and that salvation and that forgiveness from the sins that we all struggle with. He calls us to live like he did in a, in a way of self-sacrifice, which is the only way to peace. I mean, just think about it in our marriage, right? In your, in your marriage to your spouse or in a relationship with a loved one. When we put ourselves last and we put them first, it usually always leads to peace, right? But when we put ourselves first, it ends in disaster every time. He's called us to lay down our rights for the flourishing of others. And that is so hard to grasp, especially here in America where we're like all fighting for our rights. We want our way. We want our right. But God is saying, no, no, you lay down your rights for the flourishing of others. And his sacrifice made a way for all of us to be able to do that today. His sacrifice allowed for the Holy Spirit to come and be with us forever. So, so yes, Jesus did have to die. He had to die. He was the lamb. And the way that he saved us was by giving us a helper for the rest of our lives. It was better in a way because even though Jesus left us, the Holy Spirit is with us all the time, helping us, healing us, speaking to us, guiding us, 
teaching us. He did that so that we could be free, so we could live the best life. Today, you can talk to God today. You can be healed today. You can know and hear his guidance today because of that. You can be made whole today. And I think that he's calling us, all of us, today on this Palm Sunday to choose him as our lamb, to choose him. And I I just ask all of us to think about where do we really go when we need help? Do we really go to God? Or do we try to make things work out for ourselves? Do we push through and try to be a bull in a china closet and just make things happen for ourselves, just will it? Or do we go to God and say, God, I put down everything at your feet. I trust you with the plan of my life. Too often, though, we reach for really flawed things to save us. But things cannot save us. They have no lasting power. Back then, it was politics. There was a lot of politics happening, obviously. Today, people still fall into that same trap, thinking that a politician will save us. You know, which we know is never true. (laughs) Politicians have never saved us. Um, But it could be that for you. But maybe it's money. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a substance. You name it. They all eventually end, and none of them have the power to actually solve any of the problems in our lives. See, we mix it up when we choose the created over the creator. And everything on earth was created by God and ordered by God. But nothing created by him can supersede him. He alone is our source. We can't trust relationships to be our source. We can't trust people to be our source. We can't trust institutions run by those imperfect people to be our source. We can't trust in money to be our source. It can be lost in any moment. I mean, stock markets crash and tumble in a day, and you can lose everything in one day. So that can't be your source. Status and reputation can't be your source. That can be lost also in a moment. All it takes is one person to say something, and your reputation can be over Substances obviously don't fix things. They numb the problem for a moment, sure, but usually they make your problems worse. They don't improve them. See, none of these things are secure. None of these things can save us. None of these things are our source in our life. They can't redeem you. They can't make you whole. They can't give you character. They can't give you purpose. No matter how much energy you put into those things, they will never, ever fulfill you or save you. In fact, often when we give them power, they actually end up abusing us. Sometimes on purpose and sometimes not. I know that there's several of us in this in this space right now who have stories about how we gave too much power to a person over our destiny, over our life, and that fell apart. Or we gave too much power to a substance and it ruined our life it abused our life or we gave too much power to a job and that job did not save our life God is our only hope and our only source for life 
So these things, no, they don't redeem us. They can't save us, but they can be redeemed. They can be redeemed. See, we can bring God's love and power and redemption to these things. We can be, we can purpose to be a voice of hope in them, but they're not our source. And I think that's part of our mission in life, right? That's part of our mission in life is to take that freedom and that healing that we received from God and redeem those things in our lives, to heal our relationships, to heal the people in our lives, to heal our coworkers, to bring love and understanding in a way that we can only do when we have Jesus. So the Israelites celebrated Passover as a premeditated way to remind themselves that God alone holds the true power over our life. Only God can save. Only God could do something like he did at that first Passover. And it's the good news. That is the good news, is that the God of the universe did not leave you and I alone to figure this out. He's here. He's with us now. And he wants to help us. He wants to work things out for our good. So on this Palm Sunday, the day that's symbolic a victory in Jesus. We, we celebrate all that he wants to do in our lives. We celebrate that he can take any bad thing and turn it into good. He can take any tragedy and turn it into healing. He can take any bondage and set us free and use that to set others free. He can heal our physical and emotional wounds. He can forgive us of everything that we've done. Some of us are feeling like, I don't know, I, I might have gone too far in my life, but you've never gone too far. That's why Jesus sacrificed himself, because he would do anything for you. He loves you, and he has a purpose for you. And there is no spot or blemish in him, just like the lamb on Lamb Choosing Day. He was perfect in every way. And he paid the highest price for us with his perfect life. And we cannot lose when we choose him. I just want to read to you the most encouraging verse. It's Romans 8, 35 through 39. And this is what it says. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? But as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. But no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever, ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So today on Palm Sunday, we get to choose who our lamb will be. In Matthew 17, 24, Jesus then said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross 
and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. For what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So today, God's not looking for lip service. He doesn't want us to recite a poem for him. He doesn't want us to chant certain prayers. He wants our hearts. He wants our lives. He just wants laid down sons and daughters who are ready to say, God, I give you my life. I give you my plans. I trust you and I choose you. Here I am. Use me. So as we go into worship, I just encourage all of us to take time to talk to God. And if there's anything that maybe you've chosen that is the created, just maybe take a moment and say, God, I'm sorry. I put my trust in something that will never be my source, that will never save me. And so I put it back down. I lay it down just like on Palm Sunday in the old days. I lay it down and I give it to you. And I give you every problem, every worry, every stress and I give it to you. And I know that he will meet you in that moment. So I just trust God has something to say to you. So as we go into worship, I just encourage you to take a moment and talk to God about maybe anything that's going on in your life that you need to lay down. And I also just want to acknowledge that maybe there are people either today with us or watching online that have never decided to follow God. You've never decided to follow Jesus. And today is like the best day to do that. So I just encourage you as we go into this time of worship to just also say to God, okay, I'm ready. This is my day. I'm choosing today to follow you. I'm choosing you. I'm choosing to lay down my life because I believe in you. So whatever it is, whatever you're needing to say to God, I just encourage you to take a moment and really, really talk to him. It doesn't have to be fancy or special words. Just talk from your heart and he'll meet you right there.